have your Bible, let's go to uh, Psalm number 51. I hope you guys have been reading your Bible. Read, raise your hand if you have read your Bible at least once this week. Come on, raise your I'm proud of you. Remember, we said in Psalm 1 that the man who, reads the, who, who dedicates himself to Scripture is going to be blessed in all his ways. Remember that? We read that on January the 1st the beginning of the year, that if you will read the scripture, your life will be more blessed. And so this week, in our weekly reading, we came across Psalm 51, one of the most beautiful psalms that there is. I mean, it's absolutely beautiful. Now, it, it comes from David. Um, let me back up and tell you what a psalm is, in case you don't know. A psalm is a song. It's actually a poem, an ancient poem put to music. And they would, they would sing these psalms in the Old and New Testament. And by the way, we sing some of them still today. Now, King David of Israel wrote about half of the Psalms that are in Scripture. And he wrote whatever was in his heart. Some of them uh, are celebrations. Some of them he's complaining to God. You ever prayed a, a complaint to God? Like you didn't try to pray a complaint, but when you backed away, you're like, yeah, that was pretty much a complaint. You know? He does that with some of his Psalms. He, he writes when he's happy, when he's sad. This Psalm 51, he writes uh, as a repentance Psalm. And, and here's what's happened. David... Um, great leader, fantastic. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. He's the most beloved and most accomplished king Israel has ever had. But he has his worst moment right before he writes Psalm 51. Some of you might know David's story. David commits adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, and her husband Uriah is off at war. And, and when she comes up pregnant and he feels like he won't be able to hide it, he sends Uriah to the front lines of battle where it's almost certain he will die, and he does die. Now, that's about the most terrible story you could tell, and it's completely out of character with who David is. And so you read this story, and you wonder, how is David the man he is? Well, here's what God does, because God knows David's meant for more than the sin he's committing. By the way, God knows you're meant for more than the sin that we commit, right? And so because of that, God confronts him. Now, know this. Every time God confronts you in your sin, it's because he loves you. Just waited for one. Just needed one amen. Just somebody help me out just a little bit. Because today I'm talking about sin, brother. Talking about sin in the house of God today, y'all. All right? So I need a little encouragement. All right? I, we all agreed we're going to read this whole Bible and we're going to preach it wherever it comes. Can I get an Amen. All right, and today we're talking about sin in the house of God, all right? And, and it's not easy to receive, but when God confronts you about your sin, it's because he loves you. It's like your kid that's running around in the yard like a crazy child, and then he gets out of the car into the parking lot, and he doesn't know that it's a parking lot and that cars are running around. He just does more of his running around like crazy. And you jerk, you grab him, and you pull his arm out of socket if necessary because you love him, you know he's going to be a hood ornament if you don't get a hold of him, you know? It's not because you're angry, and God is our heavenly Father, and he loves us. And so because he loved David so much, and he said, David, man, I made you so incredible. I gave you an anointing for music, for leadership, for battle, for war. You can't be this. you got to be more than that. And so because of all that, God refuses to let David just go on and hide his sins. He's tried to hide it for about a year. And so God sends a prophet named Nathan. And, and even though we're going to read Psalm uh, 51, go, first we're going to read from 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the in, incredible, interesting way that, that Nathan the prophet tells David that, hey, God knows what you've done. He tells him a story. Uh, so 2 Samuel 12 and 1. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. 
There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate, drank from his own cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing uh, an animal from his flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. By the way, when you're hiding your sin, it's so easy to be furious at someone else's sin. Can I get an amen? David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole for having no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. Everybody go, <gasps> that's what David did. <laughs> David was, because you don't meet, a, you, you meet David in front of a whole assembly. He's the king, you know, he's like, <gasps> why didn't you email me this information, you know? I mean, the blood must have rushed out of his face. See, this is a, these are capital offenses. Even if you say, well, he didn't actually kill him, he didn't actually murder him, adultery in the Old Testament was a capital offense. He could be killed for this. The truth was, though, that David didn't, didn't really care about that. David was better than that, and he meant to be better than that, and the sin in his life was dragging him down to a place that he never wanted to go anyways. And so he was, I believe, actually relieved that this was finally out and he could, he could deal with it. And so in tears, he, he released all of his emotion, and he pins now the 51st Psalm. And, and as we get ready to read that, we're going to kind of just go straight through it and talk about it. Let me just set this up. David has committed adultery. He has hidden it from people, tried to hide it from God. He's had the man killed by sending him to the front lines of battle. And yet, today, we're singing songs that he wrote. Today, there are... Jews and, and Christians alike that named their sons David after him. There are statues in museums and in all parts of the world where people are still honoring David. And the Bible still calls David a man after God's own heart. How does he get from the heel to the hero? Well, the Bible doesn't really answer that question. But I've studied David a lot. He's one of my favorite characters and I think the answer is in how he deals with a major problem in his life. He has a very common problem, I would add that you and I share, but he deals with his common problem in a very uncommon way. He's got a sin problem. And he doesn't deal with sin the way most of us deal with sin. He deals with sin in a different way. And since you and I also have a sin problem, can I get an amen? Since we also have a sin problem, wouldn't you like to learn how to deal with the sin problem in a way that after you deal with your sin problem, you could be called a person after God's own heart? So let's learn that. Open up your Bibles to Psalm number 51, and we'll just read the first couple of verses to get started. This is after David's been outed. He knows what he's done. He feels terrible about it, and he says, have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Here's the first lesson that stands out to me. When I sin, when I fail God, here's the first thing I need to do. Write this down. Own it. Come on, everybody, say own it. Man, we don't do that in 2019. It's always somebody else's fault. 
I was, I was mistreated. I was disenfranchised. Somebody did something wrong. I was discriminated against. It was this person. They made this happen. Now, this, you know, we didn't have to wait till 2019 for this to become common. I mean, it starts when we're little kids, right? Little tiny kids, the first time something goes, it's always the other kid. It's always somebody else. That's why I tell you parents that only have one kid, you're not really parents yet. Not really parents until the two kids can both with straight faces tell you, no, he did it. That's when real parenting comes. You just whoop everybody then. That's what you do. You, well, everybody got it. You were doing it last time probably. But, but that, it, it's in our nature to do that. David here distinguishes himself. Look at how much my sin, me, my wrong, cleanse my heart. He, he, he talks about himself. He knows it was his own mistake. He says this word, blot out my sin. Everybody say Blot. Blot is, a, is an ancient, it's from an ancient Hebrew word, and it means to clean like you're cleaning a, a cloth, but it, it, it notes like you're scrubbing it. You're pounding it into a rock. You've seen them, uh, even in some parts of the world today, they'll get a lot of soap on it, and then they'll pound it into a rock, or even in, in ancient Israel, they would stomp on it to get it clean with a, with a clean barefoot over a clean rock. What he's saying is, what's wrong with me, God, is not easily fixed. I need you to fix me. I need you to clean me up, God. You can't soak this problem out of me. The King James Version says, cleanse me. And, it, and, and the ancient Hebrew uses the word cleanse. It's the same word that's meant to cleanse a leper from his disease or to cleanse a person from, from their disease. He's, he's essentially saying, I'm so dirty, it's like I've got a disease, God. I can't heal me. I can't. That's where it starts, guys. It starts by not saying, well, it wasn't my fault, or I really didn't do anything wrong, or, you know, I just was mistreated, and at least I'm no worse than the other guy. It starts when you look in the, in the mirror and you say, you know what, that really was not who I'm meant to be. That's really not who God wants me to be. And the truth of the matter is, I can't fix me. And he goes on in verse 3, and he says, I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night. He saw it in the eyes of everyone he was seeing. He, he saw it in the eyes of his wife. She knew what he had done. He saw it in the eyes of his soldiers because when he committed adultery, when he, when, he, when he made that mistake that he made, he was in the wrong place. The Bible says, if you read that story, that it was in the springtime when kings go off to war, David was at home. <laughs> you know, that's, that's step one. If you want to sin, get in the wrong place. You are well on your way to, to making the wrong choice. He was in the wrong place and he made the wrong choice. And, and, and that's how it often begins. And he could see it in the eyes of his soldiers who knew that he wasn't out there with them in battle like he should have been. And, and so he wanted it gone. He'd hit it. He'd acted like it didn't happen. But here's what he found out. There's a, there's a verse in Numbers chapter 32 that says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. You can't hide it. You can't hope it goes away. Sin has to be dealt with. None of us wakes up and says, this is what I want to do. I want to go do the wrong thing today. I want to go uh, dishonor God. I want to go embarrass myself. No one decides to do that. It grips us. It, it takes a hold of us, and so you have to actually deal with it. David knew that it was in his nature to sin. The next verse, verse 5, for I was a born sinner. I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. He, he says, it was easy for me to learn how to sin. Did, did any of you have really any hard trouble learning how to sin? I mean, if you had any trouble, we probably have some people that could coach you in it here. <laughs> it's easy, isn't it? Like you're a natural born sinner. You learn how to sin before you learn how to walk, right? And that's kind of what David is saying. But, but in another translation, it says, in sin my mother conceived me. I want to I give you a little theological possibility. 
In sin, my mother conceived me. Now, it's kind of thought that, that, that he was just saying, I was born into sin. It was natural for me to sin. But the way that's phrased, in sin, my mother conceived me, leads us to believe that maybe he's actually saying his conception moment was a sinful moment. And that maybe David, the adulterer, was actually birthed out of an adulterous affair. And a lot of theologians look at that and say, well, look at the way David was chosen to be king. Remember that the, the prophet Solomon, or Samuel said to, Dave, to David's father, Jesse, hey, I'm going to come and God's told me to check, to, to, to check all of your sons and one of them will be the next king of Israel. And so he lined up all of his sons. But remember the story? He didn't line up David. He left David out uh, minding the sheep. And so the, the, the prophet, thinking that was the only ones, went through every single one of them and still would not select one of them and said, something's wrong. God's not telling me one of these sons. Are you sure you don't have another son? And only then did he say, well, there's David. And he's way out in the fields. And if you've got time to wait, I'll send someone to go get him. And then you remember David was chosen. What if, uh, if David was considered an illegitimate son? And that's why he was out in the fields. Actually, we know that, that big, strong families that had a lot of money like, like Jesse's family did would never have put a son over the, the sheep. They usually made a servant go out there and keep the sheep. So, so there's something about David, even if he was not an illegitimate son, he's not loved on. He's certainly not the favorite son. But the, the point that I'm making is there's something about David's past that was kind of messed up. And when you are in your own sin condition, you're trying to get out of that sin. The second thing I want you to write down you have to do, you have to accept the past. It happened. You are where you are. And maybe like David, you didn't grow up in the best environment. Maybe you didn't come close to God's presence as a child. But you know what? That's what this church is meant for. That's why we call this church Daystar. It literally means the dawning of a new day. If anybody asks you, what does that word mean? It means the dawning of a new day. We named it Daystar so that I could tell you today, there's a new day dawning when you meet Jesus. What has happened? Accept it. It happened. You can't change it, but it's the past, and there's a new day. And that's why our mission statement, and I wish everybody would memorize it, is Daystar Church exists for community transformation through the love and power of Jesus. Come on, everybody, say it with me. Community transformation through the love and power of Jesus, through the power of Jesus. See, what we believe is you might need a new day. You might need something to change in your life. You might be walking away from your sin, but what you found out is that the, you walked away, but you ran a circle and walked right back into it again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm leaving this sin. I'm never going to do this thing again. Uh-oh, there it is again. I did, you need power. Somebody say power. Power to change an addiction. Power to break off a, a, a pattern in your life. You need the power of God to change you. And so that's what, to me, is the most exciting. We are an unapologetically spirit-filled church. What that means is the minute you drive on the grounds of the worship center, now our church is more than the building, but the minute you drive on the grounds, I hope you felt a little something, you know, because people were praying for you before you got here today. Whatever campus, whatever service, somebody was already praying. And when you saw somebody smile, that wasn't just a nice smile, that was a spirit-filled smile, like, God loves you and I do too. <laughs> As a spirit, it's like God's going to do something. And when we put your kids in children's ministry, they're not in there playing Legos. Man, they're having a spirit experience. We're believing that their little hearts are going to become awakened to the presence of God. 
And when we're singing songs up here on this platform, we are not trying to entertain you. We're not trying to get you to tap your foot along. We are opening up the heavens and inviting God to set his throne down on top of us. We believe that whatever's wrong with you in a spirit-filled environment can be made right in his presence. Come on, do you believe that? That's what it means, power. But Daystar Church transforms the community through the love and power. See, love has to come first. Why? Because, see, the way God changes people is through people. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And see, man, that's the devil's best excuse to get you to reject what God wants to do. And so you come into the presence of God, and you're just kind of like all covered up. Man, I would love for God to speak to me, but I don't want to hear from that dude. What's he into? What, 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 you know, what's he up there for? You know, what's he in it for? You know, that guy singing over there, ah, he's just putting on a show. What we're, we just get all closed up. See, God wants to come into our heart, man. He wants to change us. He's got enough power to do what every self-help book and, and, and every other effort you've ever made couldn't do. God can get in your heart and do it. And so the enemy convinces us to come in closed off. And I heard they lie over there. I heard they do this over there. I heard that person over there, he, he's leading a ministry, and he used to do so-and-so. And you're all closed up. And so the way to open up a person's heart to the power of God is what? Love. Love. We just love you. You're skeptical. We keep loving you. You think that we're not going to be faithful. We just keep being faithful. And little by little, when we love you, we don't care what you did, where you've been, what kind of mess you're in right now, what you think of us. None of that matters because we're not put on this earth to be elevating ourselves. We're put on this earth to elevate Jesus. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all people to me. And so little by little, your heart begins to open up. You begin to change, and God's power comes inside and changes you. We might be loving you in Lee County, serving tornado victims. We might be loving you in Africa or where you're working in a small group, but that's what this church is about, loving you to the place that you open up your heart and God comes in and changes you by his power. Do you believe it can happen, church? Come on. Do you believe it? Thank you, God. So that's, that's what this church is about. And see, that's, that's why David's story really connects to the rest of us. It really speaks to where we are because we have a sin problem like David did, and we want to know what to do next. Maybe like David, you, you didn't have a perfect past. Maybe you grew up far from God. Did you know you can grow up close to church and far from God at the same time? You can grow up very close to church and far from God at the same time. I like to say it like this. You know, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a rodeo makes you a cowboy. You might have just bought a hat in the gift shop, but we know you're not a cowboy, all right? And, and, and just because you're religious doesn't mean you know God. You, you, but you can't let that past, that place that you were, become a, a stake that is driven down in the ground and holds you to that place. Any more than David's questionable past and his family dynamic could stop him. Maybe you came up in an abusive situation. Maybe a home where you were mistreated and you've believed the lie, or at least you've heard the lie of the enemy, that you deserved all that. You earned what you got. There was something wrong with you, and that's why you were picked out and picked on. See, the enemy likes to use that lie. There's something wrong with you, and now you can't reach your fullest potential because of something of the past. You were less than, and you, you didn't come from the right place to actually reach your highest heights. You know, the enemy uses that lie on everybody, some version, a different language, different details, but he uses that lie on everyone. I was thinking this week about how he used that lie on me. 
when we started this church, you know, the, the, the enemies told me, you can't be a great pastor. Every great pastor you know had a dad who was a pastor. You don't even know what you're doing. Your dad was a factory worker. You don't have any idea what you're doing. Every great church was birthed out of another great church. You don't know how to start a church. You don't know how to lead a church. You didn't have another great church. You know, how many great churches do you know that started in Dodge City, Alabama with a population of 491 citizens? I've heard that lie, right? You can't have a great church. There's not enough people. There's not enough money. But in the middle of hearing all those lies from the enemy, God's like, God, drop this little promise to me. This little promise from Zechariah chapter 4. And here's what it says in my own paraphrase. It says, don't despise the day of small beginnings because the Lord rejoices to see you pick up the tools and get to work. God likes it. When you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, why do I even try? This little thing I'm doing is so meager and so insignificant. God says, I love that little thing you're doing. And I get excited when I see you quit listening to the voices around you and you just pick up the tools. I did that. I just made up my mind more than a decade ago when God dropped that in my spirit. Here's where I am. God's led me to this place. I'm going to look around and see what I've got over here and what I've got over there. And I'm going to go to work and just see what God will do with, with, with my willingness. You can do the same thing in your life. Because whether you know it or not, you are gifted. You're a gifted individual. And your gifts may not look like mine or anybody else's gifts. They're not supposed to. They look like your gifts because they fit your calling. Your purpose in life is going to fit the gifts that God has you. And so instead of hearing, well, you can't reach there because of where you came from. You can't get to this height because of these things that are wrong in your life. Forget all that. And realize that when you get started, man, God up in heaven is going, man, I like that she's doing that. I like what it's been. Other people are laughing. Other people think you're going nowhere. The Bible says God rejoices to see the work beginning. And that must be the attitude David had. Man, he just rose up and said, okay, so I came from the backwoods of nowhere. But I'm going to take what I've got. I'm going to do something with what God's done in my life. So what has been in my life does not have to predict what's going to be in my future. Somebody here needs to grab onto that for your, your own life. That your, your, your past does not predict your future. Somebody needs to hear that your past does not predict your future. I just believe somebody, that's the reason you woke up today on Time Change Sunday and made it anyways or didn't and just flipped on Facebook. Hey, hey, we're glad you're there. You were supposed to hear this. Your past does not predict your future. You were supposed to know that. You don't have to be what happened. Well, my whole family, my mom and all them, and they look, hear what I did. I did the same thing my mother. Forget about what you did. Forget about where it came from. You have to accept what happened, but know that you are more than that. Yeah, you're more than that. So, so that's what I do. When I sin, I own it. It was me. I did it. I look at the past, and I say that the past happened. It happened to me. It happened with me. It happened through me. But here's the last thing, and this is where David finally got to, and I hope you will too. You step into a new, clean future. Everybody say new, clean. Man, a new, clean future. Not what it was, not where you've been, but new and clean. What happens next in this chapter is remarkable. Remember now that, that this is before Jesus has come. This is the Old Testament. There's no sinner's prayer. There's no, you know, story of the resurrection. There's no message about grace and forgiveness. And yet, David makes a bold request that's, that's pretty awesome. Beginning in verses 7 and 8, he says, Purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. 
Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy. Again, you know what his actual words were? He said, cleanse me or purge me. He says, purge me with hyssop. Everybody say hyssop. Hyssop is a, is a common Palestinian herb that would grow in the walls uh, of, of the city, and, and like in the creases, and they would take it off, and they use it for ceremonial cleansing. I don't know why it was chosen, but it was used for ceremonial cleansing. And, and when he said, <clears throat> purge me or cleanse me with hyssop, it's the same... It's the same activity of a person who was banned from worship in the temple. Remember in the Old Testament now, there's no Jesus has come to live in my heart. There's none of that. If you want to meet God, you go to the temple. And so David was saying, I've been cut off from God. I can't even feel God. In just another verse, he says, God, please don't take away your spirit from me. And when he says, just purge me with hyssop, he's saying, cleanse me. I want to go back and feel your presence in my life again. It occurs to me that so much like us when we have failed God, we feel like, you know, we don't belong in his presence. We feel like we can't get close to him again, that we've, we've made too many mistakes and we're not worthy to come close to God, to pray and ask for things. I don't know how many times somebody's told me, I, I want to pray, but I don't, I don't feel like I should ask for certain things. Why? Why would you not be able to ask? Because like David, you've been convinced that you don't belong in God's presence. And I'm going to tell you this, there's a place for you. No matter what you've done, there's a place for you in the presence of God. Jesus made that a reality. For you to say, well, I can't get there and, and, and I don't deserve to pray. That, that's to say that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough. Jesus made a place for you. David keeps crying out in verse 9. He says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. And then he says, these beautiful words that, that we've come to know, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. That word create there, the piano play, if you'll come on up, that word create is the same word. You find that word in Genesis chapter 1 when the Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. It, it's the word, uh, let me get that word right, it's the word bara, and it means to, to form something out of nothing. Create in me a clean heart. To form something out of nothing. What David was saying is, there's nothing here. I don't belong in your presence. I'm not clean enough. I'm not good enough. And God, I need you to make something out of nothing. This is a psalm written for people who feel like you're nothing. Like you're nobody and you're going nowhere. David said, I was nothing. And God, he didn't say, fix my heart. He said, create my heart. There's a term, a theological term, restoration. It means when you're apart from God, you're restored to good relationship with God. And that's beautiful. But David wasn't asking for that. There's another theological term, and it's regeneration. And it's to supernaturally reform a person. That's what David was talking about. God, I need you to take a big pile of nothing and create something. Jesus is the only one that can do that. Preacher can't do that for you. All the self-help books you'll read and all the exercises you'll do can't make something out of nothing. Jesus can. And Jesus is a gift to the whole world. 
It's not just for white people or black people or brown people. It's not for wealthy people. It's for the whole world. He can take nothing turning into something. You feel like you're so far from where you're supposed to be. You've made so many mistakes that you're just away from God. He says, no, I can create something out of nothing. He was 800 years ahead of his time. It was 800 years later, almost, before someone would write the words to describe what David was praying for. And the Apostle Paul wrote these words. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? Say it, Daystar Church. New creature. That's what David was praying for. God, make me new. Old things pass away and new things have come. Did you know this is not just for Bible characters and kings and preachers? It's for you. Jesus is a gift for everyone. When I was writing this sermon, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you need to take the limitations off of me. The minute someone says, I can't be this because of that, she has then said, the thing I did is bigger than the power of God. You need to take the limits off of God. Stop saying because of this, I can't reach that place. Today, God wants to pull the peg out of the ground that's held you to that event or that mistake and set you free to go reach that place that you have thought you can't. You need to believe again. Somebody say, I believe again. You need to believe that you belong in His presence. There's a place for you in His presence. And in His presence, anything is possible.